This is The Road That Killed a City. Episode 6. Why Are You Still Living Here? Over the course of a few years, Hartford was gutted, depopulated, and divested. And when something so drastic happens to a city, trying to make significant improvements can be quite difficult, as Tony Cherilis explains. The uh, city of Hartford operates uh, very much on austerity budgets, uh, especially relative to their ability to invest in maintenance and infrastructure improvements. This lack of funding makes it really difficult to maintain much of the city's basic infrastructure. At this point, the city government is, all of the departments that I interact with are very lean uh, from a staffing standpoint. Just take, for example, the Department of Public Works. Which does our street maintenance, right? Um, And sidewalk replacements, and street signs, and painting. Uh, You would have... You would expect a department with two to three times as many staff people as they have. And according to him, there's only one city department that has enough employees. I'd say the only department in my knowledge that is overstaffed is our police department. The city of Hartford has twice as many police officers as a typical city our size. This puts a lot of the responsibility onto the shoulders of people like Cherilis. As you may remember from episode one of this podcast, Cherilis moved to Connecticut to take a job at Pratt and Whitney. But as time went on, he became dissatisfied with the work he was doing. My shortest answer is my soul was dying. Cherilis dreamed of doing nonprofit work, so he left Pratt and Whitney to do just that. He is now the Transport Hartford coordinator at the Center for Latino Progress in Frog Hollow. He's dedicated his life to making transportation easier for more people in the city. So the city of Hartford has over 30% of households without a car. The neighborhood that we're doing this interview in right now is uh, South Green. 47% of households in this neighborhood don't have a car. And most of his energy goes into making life better for those people. That means that we end up working a lot on bus transit, walking, and biking topics to better serve the community members that have an issue with, hey, this crosswalk isn't safe, or why don't we have any connected bike routes? But with the limited budget, getting any meaningful progress done can be difficult. Infrastructure is is a long game. It takes a long time to actually change physical streets, to get the funding in place, to get the public support, to get the interest in leadership aligned with complete streets and active transportation. As is common with anyone trying to make change in Hartford, Cherilis has to focus on winning battles instead of wars. Because they've all been digesting the uh, same car-centric messaging forever. Uh, To come around to thinking about it in a different way and then making it happen takes a long time. So it's hard to point to physical infrastructure projects. We have, you know, small things that we've done quickly. We got out about a hundred of those centerline crosswalk signs as part of a grant uh, about a year ago to increase pedestrian safety at uncontrolled or mid-block crosswalks. But possibly the biggest goal for Cherilis is making sure Hartford has a well-built, well-connected bike lane system. We are now starting to see some physical outcomes of the bicycle master plan that was passed in 2019 in Hartford in that the paving projects this year are getting bike lanes. 
The work Cherilus has done is remarkable, and his devotion to activism keeps Hartford going. But if you live in the city long enough, you realize you almost have to be an activist. The general maintenance on the city depends on residents stepping up and taking action, whether as a profession or as a volunteer. It means it takes a particular type of person to stay in the city. It takes someone just like Steve Harris. People to this day ask me, say, Steve, why are you still living in the hood, bro? Because I have four children. At the time, I had four daughters. Still got them. I have four grandsons. And I said, it was important for me to let them see a positive role model or normal household in their household because we don't see that a lot in our neighborhoods. Harris knows the issues Hartford faces with a unique intimacy. There are generations in this city who have been unemployed. Generations. And with this in mind, he does whatever he can to be a positive force in his community. We tell our kids they can be anything they want to be. But it's hard to be what you never see. It is hard to be what you never see. Harris, aside from working as a fireman and a state marshal, was also in the city council. Because I have this conversation with people all the time, because my phone rings constantly from my neighbors, from other folk who are concerned about the city. And Because and people ask me, Steve, how do you always seem to wind up in these meetings? It all goes back to the fact that it's really tough to live in Hartford and not be an activist. And you know, my response is really, it's not that I really want to be there, but I recognize, I recognized my whole adult life that there were decisions that were being made for me and my family. And we weren't being asked about them. They were just being made for us. The path to change is tough. And if we're gonna make any significant progress, we have to move one big obstacle that's in the way. So, if the Hartford Viaduct is the road that killed the city, then in order to bring that city back to life, that road needs to be changed. And there are people who have set out to do just that. One of whom is Michael Morehouse, who, along with Casey Harden and Michael Calabresi, started the I-84 Hartford project in the early 2010s. And they've been working for almost a decade to fix the transportation woes of the past. And from the start, they wanted to make their infrastructure project different from those of decades before. We went through a very thorough, um, transparent process to talk to as many people as we could. I mean, going to places where people congregate, where people live, where they work, and, and asking questions. And with that, they found a populace with a desire to have roads cater to more than just car transport. And yeah, they're concerned about getting around the city uh, by foot. You know, there's a... There's a huge sort of equity disparity. You know, when, when you're thinking about just building highways, when a lot of people in the city rely on public transportation, rely on walking and biking to get around. And yet, you know, the, the critical infrastructure to make those kinds of travelers safe largely doesn't, doesn't exist or, or is in poor conditions. Then, of course, they heard a lot of complaints about dealing with the day-to-day -day reality of living near a busy freeway. We had complaints of uh, air quality issues, you know, sediment coming from the structure itself and accumulating on people's windowsills. There's uh, a lot of noise complaints. The team met in a church in downtown Hartford, listening to suggestions and taking in community insight, and in doing so, drew out three proposals. 
The first would be to keep the elevated viaduct, but just modernize it. It was really hard to make the, even the elevated highway work. There's a new vertical clearance standard we needed to hit to clear the railroad, and, and the freeway would be even higher than it is today, and that made it difficult to create connections to the local streets for interchanges. So we actually had a hard time making the traffic work for the elevated option. They also considered burying the highway underground completely and digging a tunnel, just like Boston did in the early 2000s with their infamous Big Dig project. The tunnel was sort of the same because it was buried below grade, tough to create those interchanges that worked, and again, you know, really tough to make it work from a traffic perspective, also extremely costly. The third and final option was bringing the highway down to surface level. And so the lower highway really emerged as the leading candidate. This proposal would have gotten rid of the imposing structure and allowed for more walkable and green space in and around the road. They'd be able to minimize the amount of exits into downtown, making the highway a less attractive option for short distance travel. The I-84 Hartford project got consensus with their lowered highway option, but the city's congressman came forward with a different proposal. And then Larson comes in at the last minute saying, oh, well, we need to tunnel under 91 in the river. Congressman John Larson in 2018 proposed a plan to tunnel both I-84 and I-91, which of course was something that the I-84 Hartford project considered but decided not to do. Congressman Larson did not respond to my interview request, but the link to his proposal is in the description. Even though the I-84 Hartford project, which was working with the Connecticut Department of Transportation, had a plan to reshape I-84, that plan was put on hold. So we saw all these, you know, separate things coming up and we just, um, I think that was the major driver for us to just hit the pause button. So the department was, you know, we were proceeding with the uh, 84 viaduct project and, and as that was progressing, you know, all these other things started popping up in the area, you know, in Hartford, East Hartford. They saw increased demand for projects related to bus, bike, and rail transport for the city, and wanted to address those alongside the viaduct. We wanted to make sure that nothing, that none of these projects got in the way of each other. So the trio got to work on a new project called the Greater Hartford Mobility Study. This is a project that focuses more on multimodal transportation. And multimodal transportation is you know, the way towards a, a sustainable transportation future. And according to Morehouse, the future of transportation includes reutilizing modes of travel we previously decided were outdated. So if we, um, Casey had mentioned earlier that the highways were a bit of an experiment. At the time, uh, you know, automotive travel was proliferating. Everybody thought that was the way of the future. And, you know, we abandoned, we abandoned railroads and, and to a degree uh, public transportation and people stopped riding bikes. It looks at the same problem city planners were dealing with in the 40s, but with a more inclusive answer. You know, when you go in on a singular solution with anything, eventually that solution gets overwhelmed. It can't handle the demand and it, and it breaks. Going back to a true multimodal system is about diversifying um, your, your, your transportation opportunities, making sure that you can get around in a variety of different ways. This means less of a focus on car transport in particular. So you want to get on a, on a bus to make a connection to downtown, you can do that. There's express opportunities. But why does this matter? Well, for one thing, it makes life much easier for those who don't own a car or struggle to afford one. It's access, you know, access to opportunity. 
access to healthy food, access to jobs. Um, you know, transportation satisfies a lot of those things. And, you know, we just have to set this system up correctly. A Harvard University study in 2015 found that access to quick transportation is a key factor to getting out of poverty. In a city and a state with notorious income inequality, changing the transportation priorities could go a long way in remedying these issues. Uh, it's important to do a, a project like this that considers the needs of everybody, despite your race, your you know ethnicity, you know whether or not you, uh, you English is your first language or not, whether you're male, female, young, old, um, have some sort of impediment. You know, the transportation has to work for all people. That sentiment might just be the whole point of this podcast. And it's something just about every person I interviewed touched on. We don't thrive by living inside a tiny little box, only seeing people who are just like us. We have much more fulfilling lives, and everyone has a better fulfilling life when we can cross in and out of boxes. Nobody wants to be boxed up. If you could change the shape of that interstate highway, maybe you could change where people would live. After living his entire life in Hartford, Steve Harris has an idea on how we can help fix the city. And it's something all of us can do. But you have to keep communicating with each other. And you can't be afraid of each other because it's fear that sets up those invisible barriers. It's fear. That's all it is. It's fear. This entire podcast started with a thought I had two years ago while driving on the viaduct. Why in the world is this road here? And what damage has it done? This podcast is meant to answer that question specifically, but more broadly, how does architecture and city planning affect the way we live? We still live in the boxes put up decades before us. At the beginning of this podcast, I talked about Tony Cherilis and the poorly located, inconvenient apartment building his company told him to live in. That building was in Manchester, a town that was zoned to keep out lower class people, a town whose real estate agents refused to sell to people of color, a town whose racial makeup is still over 80% white, a town with two interstate highways and little viable public transportation. The reason locals assumed Will Wilkins said he lived in West Hartford instead of Hartford is because a high government official came to town and decided the land west of the city was nicest, and then a highway enforced that decision. The boxes that were made to divide us on race and class lines, lines we the people didn't have any input in creating, still exist and dictate our decisions on a day-to-day -day basis, even if most of us have no idea why. A lot of damage has been done a lot of which we can't get back. But changing the road that kept those boxes in place and relying less on the transportation that enforces the status quo can only help us change for the better. Thanks for listening to The Road That Killed a City. I'm Jim Kruger.